evening. As Samuel was saying, this is the, the last talk on the short series that we've been doing on prayer. And uh, tonight what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at uh, the prayer of Daniel, or one of the prayers of Daniel, uh, reading first of all from chapter 9, Daniel 9. I say one of the prayers because uh, Daniel had quite a lot of prayers. Uh, that old Sunday school hymn reminds us that uh, Daniel was a man of prayer, and daily he prayed three times. Even when it was made illegal, he still prayed. Now that's a test, isn't it? If there was a law passed in the land that said you are not allowed to pray. You know, Daniel kept on going. Uh, there isn't a law, and yet some of us, of course, are not great at praying. But hopefully this, this uh, subject uh, and the lessons from Daniel will be helpful for us. So Daniel chapter 9 uh, and at verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Now over to the next chapter, chapter 10, and uh, now down at verse uh, number 12. Verse 11. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Amen. May God's word uh, touch our hearts uh, this evening. Um, if ever there's something that's going to transform our prayers, I think it is an understanding of what goes on behind the scenes. You know, after our prayers are uttered, after we make our prayers, what actually happens next? And what we have here uh, from the life of Daniel is some degree of, of insight. The curtain is kind of pulled back a wee bit and we're allowed to see into the spiritual realms and into, the, into heaven and understand some of these things that take place uh, behind the scenes. Now, we know why Daniel's praying. Daniel's praying because of the sin and the error of his people. Interestingly, if you look down at the start of chapter uh, 9 and verse uh, 2, it's after reading the Bible, after reading the prophecy of Jeremiah, that he understands what's going on as far as his nation, and that uh, he prays because of, of reading the Scriptures. Uh, we know what kind of prayer it is. It's a prayer of confession. It's a prayer of, 
of repentance on behalf of himself and of the nation. Uh, But, as I say, what we're going to really look at now is what happens next after he offers this uh, prayer. Now, there are two, two points that I'm going to make at the start. And the first one has to do with timing. Now, what you'll notice from um, verse number 21 from chapter 9, when Gabriel, the the angel, comes, uh, he says, While I was speaking in prayer, it was then that the man Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision, came to me in swift flight at the time of the sacrifice. So an edict had gone out. As soon as Daniel's prayer, at that very moment that he uttered the prayer, it was heard in heaven, and a command went out to Gabriel, standing in the presence of God, and immediately it was heard. And uh, he says that that prayer, uh, verse 23, it was at the very beginning of your pleas that that edict and command went out from God. So, Here's something of encouragement for us. At the very moment that we pray, sometimes we we feel our prayers and the answers to them are delayed, but at the very moment that we utter a prayer, it goes straight to heaven and it's heard and, and some sort of edict and command goes out from God. And notice the reason that's given for this at verse 23. Daniel is described here and in in chapter 10, uh, as someone who is greatly loved. So prayer, again, is is a relationship. And it's because of the esteem that Daniel is held in by God, uh, God's love for him, that he wants to answer the prayer that his child is given. So, I mean, these are all things for us to be encouraged about tonight. That God hears immediately, and he looks upon us people who are, are greatly loved. But there's something else, actually, in the passage, as far as timing is concerned. Yes, prayers are heard immediately, but often there can be delays, and there are reasons given for delay here. Uh, the first one here uh, I want to point out to you is the one in chapter 10, uh, where He's, he's, he's led to understand that although his prayer was heard immediately, that there was a delay because of this individual described uh, in the verse as being uh, the, the prince of the kingdom of Persia who withstood him for 21 days. And uh, if you read down towards the end of the chapter, um, at verse 20, um, he says that you know, he's going to return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. And so something is going on that delays Gabriel coming right down to the presence of of Daniel to deliver the answer, if you like, to the prayer. And and these princes, I think, can only be understood as being kind of demonic forces who seem to have particular responsibility at a national level for for given nations, Persia and Greece in this case. And they're so powerful that they were actually able to prevent Gabriel 
coming down to assist Daniel. And Michael, who is the archangel, um, specifically with responsibility for your people, Daniel, that is the, the nation of Israel, had to assist in this conflict. And of course, we know from the rest of Scripture about the reality of the dark, evil powers of wickedness that array themselves against the people of God. We know that there are principalities and powers, as Ephesians 6 says it. That's why we have to arm ourselves in conflict. Um, and it's in an understanding of this that we, we, we have to realize what takes place after prayers are uttered. And the delay in this instance was because of this whole idea of, of spiritual conflict and demonic forces uh, and evil that seems to resist the purposes uh, of God. So delay might be because of, of spiritual conflict that takes place. But there's another reason for delay that we have here as well. And that is the whole idea of the purposes of God. Go back to chapter 9 and we, we, we finished our reading at verse number 23 where um, Gabriel is speaking to Daniel and says, consider the word and understand the vision. And he goes on to, to, to describe this kind of vision, a very complicated passage of scripture from verse 24, when he begins to describe this kind of whole program of future events round about what he describes as 70 weeks are decreed about your people. You know, and without getting into all of that, the point is this, that the purposes of God are to ripen. The purposes of God are to play out according to his will. And very often, of course, we would love things to be sorted immediately. And we would love our prayers to uh, be given an answer that's instantaneous. But it's not only the whole idea of demonic resistance that might delay prayer, uh, answers to prayer at times, but there is that, the whole idea of the purposes of God that will ripen in their own time. And as far as what was being described here, as far as Israel was concerned, there was a whole lot of years that were going to have to take place because these weeks are weeks of seven years. Um, right away out into the future, before certain things were going to take place. And so we have to understand that at times. When delays come and we're frustrated and we wonder why that is the case, when from our hearts we're praying about individuals and certain things and we wonder why that delay is present, there are sometimes things as far as God's sovereignty is concerned that, that are beyond our ability to understand. So that's, that's the first point that we understand as we draw back the curtain. It's about prayer and timing as far as the answer. The second point uh, I wanted to talk about um, is the idea about God's own participation in prayer. What happens after our prayers uh, are offered? Well, God himself is actively involved in our prayers. I mean, in this case here, he sends out the edict. Gabriel is sent immediately uh, when, Dan when Daniel prays. And that's tremendous, but there's actually much, much more to it as we look at other passages of Scripture. I'm going to ask you now uh, to turn your Bible to Romans chapter 8, 
just to make a, a couple of points uh, from there. Uh, Romans 8 um, is talking about you know, God's purposes again. If you look down at verse 28 of the chapter, that famous cha- uh, verse that says um, that we know that um, all things work together for good uh, according to those um, for those who are called according to God's purposes. And God's purposes are then laid out for us. Here are the purposes of God. And these are the things actually that are working together. Sometimes we think that it's maybe referring to the details of our lives, but it's the purpose of God as far as these particular points in verse 29 that follow. Here are God's purposes. Whom he foreknew... He predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. Isn't it interesting? All these are in the past tense. Now we think of glory as being in the future. God puts it in the past tense because it's already happened. You know, it's it's a certainty as far as his purposes are concerned. That's tremendous for us to take hold of. The purposes of God are sure uh, and, and they are certain. So God's purposes are mentioned here, but also his participation. Now look at verse number uh, 26 uh, from, that, from this point of view. Um, and not only the creation... But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Groaning is talked about in this passage. How we groan, you know, because of the difficulties of life. How the creation itself seems to be groaning. Verse number 22, it's... uh, You know, it's been subjected to futility because of sin and it's creaking and moaning and groaning. We are groaning. But the great point that is also being made here in this passage is that the Spirit of God is also described as groaning. Likewise, it says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. Now, just think about this. We pray, and at times we're lost. You know, we hardly know how to formulate our words. We might be in a distressing situation, really concerned about certain individuals, and we hardly know how to say things. At that very point, God's Spirit is participating in prayer along with us and he's not just doing it in some sort of mechanical way he he is groaning he is he he is groaning with words uh, that are that are too deep for words as he intercedes for us such as the intensity and the, the the extent of the concern of the spirit of god for us in our prayers and so we must never think that I am praying alone that I am praying in isolation 
Because God's Spirit in His concern is groaning in the depths of His feeling and in His sympathy along with me in all my prayers. And just look at how verse 27 develops that. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We might get things all wrong. We might be praying for the wrong things. And yet as the Spirit of God is involved in participating in our prayers, He prays knowing the mind of God and for the will of God. That's immensely encouraging as we think about what happens after I pray. There's a second point, actually, that makes it as well. If you go down to verse number 35, uh, 34, rather, uh, I'm struggling with my eyesight here tonight on this smaller print Bible. Uh, It says uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ that he is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us. So as well as the Spirit groaning, the Lord Jesus is interceding at the right hand of God. Otherwise, he's described as being like our great high priest. I often think about that, you know, in the days when the worshippers would make their way up to the temple and, you know, family would go and maybe the little boy had been there for the first time, never visited and gets an introduction to the high priest and shakes his hand and he asks his parents, what does this man do? And uh, they're taken into uh, the temple courts and the animal is is offered and the the priest offers a prayer on behalf of the family and and, and acts as the mediator between them and God and prays for absolution from their sins, you know, and asks for the blessing of this family. And and the the priest does that. And that image is carried on here as we think about our Lord Jesus Christ as the great, the ultimate high priest who is able to take all the concerns, all the distresses, all the burdens of all of his people and bring them before God as he intercedes for all of us. And we need to bear these pictures in our mind as we ourselves are involved in prayer. At that moment, an edict comes from God the Father. The Spirit of God with these groans is interceding according to the will of God. And the Son of God, our Savior, He intercedes on our behalf because of His sympathy and His concern, because He is man and He understands our frailty. He's able to, with feeling and sympathy, intercede on our behalf. Wonderful things. This is God's participation. Timing and participation are both seen as we draw the curtain aside and we understand what goes on. Now, just uh, one other point here. Uh, From Revelation chapter 5, this is another kind of word picture uh, that is helpful in this connection. Revelation uh, chapter 5 and verse uh, number eight, and this, of course, is the chapter about uh, about the Lamb being presented in heaven. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp 
and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. This is very interesting. So here we are. This is the the presence of God that's being described for us. It's a tremendous picture here, tremendous scene. The Lamb in the midst of the throne with all the myriad multitude of heaven all around him. You know, and as part of the description, there are the 24 elders and there are the four living creatures and they're holding golden bowls of incense. And, and the interpretation is given to us. And we're told that this is symbolic of the prayers of God's people that are stored up and they are kept in the immediate presence of God in heaven. Now, two things about this. Did you know, this is of great encouragement to me, that every prayer that you have ever offered in your life has not just disappeared and vaporized into the ether somewhere. Every prayer that you have ever offered in your life is kept permanently before God. It's there all the time. These bowls are representing that. They're, they're full of the prayers of the saints in the presence of God. You know, sometimes we forget that, don't we? Sometimes we think God is not interested and has forgotten because of the delay. And yet there, right before him, in his presence, constantly, there is a remembrance of what his people are praying. And the other thing is this, is that they are represented as being like incense. There is, there is something precious. There is something fragrant. There is something that is special about those prayers that are there in the presence of God. So can I encourage all our hearts that those prayers that we offer for family members or for situations or for things on our heart, that that is the reality of it as we draw back the curtain and we see God's active participation in the prayers that we make that are not forgotten. They're recorded and kept and they're fragrant as far as he is concerned. And uh, as this is the last message, you know, in this series uh, on prayer, let, let's try and specifically apply it then uh, to ourselves and ask, well, how can we be transformed by prayer? You know, I've been personally challenged by, by many of the points uh, that I've, I've studied. Uh, but somebody said to me recently that there's no, there's no point in being challenged if we're not changed. And I think, you know, there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, we need to be changed by the Word of God. And prayer is so fundamental and crucial uh, in personal um, relationship that we have with our God, and it's so central in the life of the church as well. The early church in Acts, they were described as among other things, devoting themselves, continuing steadfastly in, in prayer. Uh, but it's always the case in most churches, and Hebron, I guess, is, is pretty representative, that our prayer meeting is frequently the, the poorest attended of all our services. 
And maybe we need to ask the question, you know, why is it that, you know, near enough 200 people can come here on a Sunday morning, and yet sometimes we're lucky to get a dozen uh, at our prayer meeting at times? Maybe it's because prayer sometimes might expose the reality of our, our spiritual life. You know, there are no props, there are no kind of uh, frills at the prayer meeting. It is mainly just me coming to God with nothing else there. I mean, I can remember years ago when we lived in Zambia, um, going to some of the services, and of course I didn't understand the word. You know, and I thought, you know, I think, that, you know, I'm not getting anything out of this. Um, and then kind of remonstrating with myself that, you know, it's, it's not necessarily about, about that. It's, it's you meeting with God. And, and sometimes older people um, talk about that. They're not able to get out any longer. They can't come to services. I remember the great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, saying this in one of his books, that he thought that, you know, maybe all the busyness of being involved in serving the Lord was just kind of carrying him along. And when he became unwell, and, and he couldn't even concentrate enough to read the Bible, you know, he wondered, you know, if that somehow or another was a commentary on the lack of his spiritual experience with God. And sometimes a prayer meeting is a bit like that. And maybe it exposes our lack of reality as far as our relationship with God. Maybe that's why our prayer meetings are not well attended. And you know, prayer is, is almost the acid test of, 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 of our interest and of the reality of our spiritual life as we are in communion with God. Because, I mean, that's what heaven is going to be like eventually. We'll be with Him and in communion with Him. And that relationship should be starting and developing here as far as life in the church uh, is concerned. A church of people who pray is crucial because as we meet corporately together we are saying the amen to everybody else's prayers we're all involved in that raising prayers unitedly before God and when we pray together it deals with tensions and strains because when you hear somebody that you might have some difficulty with truly praying and expressing what is on their heart before God, you understand where they're at. And it's a lot easier to understand somebody in that kind of situation. When we pray, it involves the worship of God. And we realize that it's not about me. Life doesn't revolve round about me. God is at the center and he gets all the glory. And when we pray, it deals with things like sin and holiness, as Daniel shows us, and repentance and confession is expressed. We demonstrate our love for fellow brothers and sisters in the family of God, those who are sick, those who are elderly, those who are sad, those who are struggling. And we partner with the work of God that's all over the world as we stand in prayer and intercede. All these reasons explain why prayer should be much more a part of the life of the Church of Hebron than perhaps it currently is. And of course, 
We shouldn't just be challenged. We should be changed when we think about this. And think about this church being a house of prayer for, for all nations. So the outcome of a series like this should mean that my prayers should be more mature. I should be praying like the apostles prayed, as we've learned. But it also should mean that we should be more committed as far as our prayer. As a church member, it's our duty to be involved in the prayer life of the church. It is an expectation and should be uh, a commitment. And what some of us are going to try and do, actually, is at a practical level, try and encourage this uh, even more. We're not quite sure what these initiatives are going to look like at this stage, but there are a few people who are going to stand up as kind of prayer champions, and uh, we're going to try and see if we can um, really uh, bring to the fore much more the whole idea of the importance of prayer in the life of the church. If you'd like to be one of these prayer champions, speak to me, and uh, I'll try and explain what, what we mean by that.